0: So let's turn there. We've been following this book that um, shows the nation of Israel coming into the promised land, right? So going back, and we'll even get a little rehearsal of Israel's um, beginnings by going all the way back to Abraham and God saying that he would give him this land. And then, <clears throat> wow, so many years elapse 400 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness. And now they're finally in the land. We took some time to uh, see the division of the land. We saw those that had faith and drove out the giants like Caleb. We saw other tribes that were not content with what they had been given. But God said, this is yours and go possess it. So these are some of the, the large themes that we've seen in the book of Joshua. As we come to chapter 23 and 24, um, we are at the last days of his life. He knows he is about to pass from the scene. And so he's going to remind them that he's going to do what everybody does. He goes the whole, he's going the way of the whole earth. And that um, in this moment, he's going to take the, the last breath that he has to speak words of comfort and exhortation to them. And so there's some gravitas when people speak their last words, isn't there? So we'll look at that and then we'll we'll close by seeing him renewing the covenant with Israel there in Shechem and then um, we'll see in the last that Eleazar and Joshua pass. So chapter twenty three Joshua's parting words verses one and two it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given. Rest to Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua was old, advanced in age. Joshua called for the elders, for their heads, their judges, their officers, and said to them, I am old and advanced in age. Okay. So <clears throat> he says, listen, this is, this is what's happening. I'm, I'm not going to be around for um, a lot longer. And so he's going to speak to them. You can think of some of the last words of Scripture, um, last words of men in Scripture, like David. When he's speaking to Solomon and he says, Be strong and prove yourself a man. You know, take the responsibilities that are in your hands and and take take care of them. Or we can think about, you know, Paul's final words in Second Timothy and how has he reflected upon that he was about to to pass. He says, You know, I ran my race, I've I've i fought the, the good fight. I'm fighting a good fight of not coughing, I'm losing. Um, and, and, but he says, no, but I'm looking towards heaven. Those are his last words. Um, and you can go through and find other words. Jesus' last words were, you know, going to all the world. Um, so these are the w- words we're going to see in chapters 23 and 24 of Joshua. But what would your final words be if it were today? If you were to speak your last words, what would it sound like? Would it be full of regret? for wasted time? Would it be full of bitterness because of the bad things and the hard things that has happened to you in life? Would it be full of fear or despair? Or would you be a one speaking wisdom in life? Being able to speak of how you live for the glory of the Lord. I have been in the rooms of people and at their bedsides when, when both are said. When there is those that are they're ready to go meet the Lord. Not just physically, but spiritually. I've been at the bedside of those that look back on regret in that moment. And, you know, we're the, we all have to live each and every day. And it makes certain that when it comes to this moment, <clears throat> that we, we, have some, we're, we have something to say. Now, final words are great. But final words are not everything, all right? Because... I mean, you know, sometimes um, you don't know you're going to speak your final words, right? A lot of people didn't know they were speaking their final words this, this past Saturday as, you know, the terrorists came in and began to kill them. They didn't know. They didn't have a moment to write a letter or epistle or sit as a king to the, to the prince and say, all right, this is what I want you to do. Or, <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, w- a lot of times we don't know and sometimes even those last words may not even be representative of the life that's been lived. So while I say there's some gravitas to speaking the last words, I don't think we should make too much over them unless it's coming from a godly man or woman. So what do we do? Well, I think we need to make certain that we're expressing the most important, uh, of the most important and treasured beliefs we have. And, and those valued uh, truths of Scripture our love for people every day because you don't know. You don't know what your last words are going to be. And um, you may think you know. Um, some people can see it rolling in and they can have that moment, but many don't. But we need to live in such a way and have our hearts and in a place with the Lord so that we are speaking those things that are important, that they do have weight um, all the time. And so, There's no time to, to, you know, waste. As you look at verses 3 through 10, Joshua speaks of how the Lord has been faithful. He he is a faithful reminder. Um, You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. So, He's been faithful, and he begins to walk through the ways in which the Lord has been faithful. But it's always a good word to speak of the faithfulness of God to one another. You can't speak of the faithfulness of God too many times. Because there's this enemy, and there's this mind of ours and this world of ours that is always wanting to call God into the courtroom of our mind and to judge him based upon the last 10 minutes of our, our experience. And, and it's, it's never, if we're not making a righteous judgment, it's not, it's not good. So to hear that God has been faithful is a, a reminder that we need to hear often. We need to give often because we can so easily slip into other thoughts. <clears throat> but he, he talks about how the nations were divided to them and how they, they were cut off and how God drove them off at the end of verse 6. As the Lord your God promised. God always does the things that he promises. And he said he was going to bring them into the land, that he was going to drive out the enemy. They would inherit a land they didn't have to um, build or or develop. And this is what is being experienced. And so verse 6, the result is, He says, therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or the left. You go astray. You follow the other nations. It takes courage to be obedient to the word of God. It takes courage because there are times when you will be faced with the choice of, do I obey or disobey? And obedience can put you in direct conflict and trouble with family with friends, with your country, with the place where you work. And now you've got to make the decision, what am I going to do? If I do what the Bible tells me to do here, and I obey this command, then I it's going to put me in direct conflict with somebody else. So I think the word here be courageous to obey is a is a good word for all of us to remember. And you know, don't allow the the wrath of man to at all Persuade you away from being completely and totally obedient to Jesus Christ. So hear that and know that. Now look at verse 7. He says, um, you know, so if you don't have the courage to obey, you're going to, um, lest you go among these nations, these who remain among you, you should not make mention of their gods or cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve or worship them, bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you've done to this day. So you've done good so far. Keep on doing what you've done. But we're going to see Joshua is very concerned for them. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations, but as for you, none of, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man shall chase a thousand, for God fights for you. As he promised, he told you the giants were going to fall. He told you the walls were going to come down. He has done this for you. You have seen this. So, this, this generation gets to see that faithfulness of God, exhorted to be courageous and to obey, <clears throat> and that nobody is going to be able to stand. And, you know, the Lord has gone in for us, Jesus, and he has fought for us. And he has defeated an enemy that is stronger than us. That we could have never defeated on our own. And he's opened up the doors of salvation for us. And he has fulfilled the promise that this, the seed of the woman would come. And that she would crush the head. Uh, that, that seed would crush the head of the serpent. And that, that life would be given. That their forgiveness of sins. That he would bear that upon his body. Isaiah 53, our iniquities. That has been fulfilled. So... We have a battle story as well. We are we the ones that, um, you are like, yeah, but we didn't get to see it. Yes, you did. You got to see it in real time in your own life when the Lord stepped in and you went from darkness to light. Don't think that it was you waking up one day and deciding you were going to be religious. I always kind of had a spiritual bone in me. Well, you know, the Bible says there's none that seek after God. No, not one. If you are saved, it's because God came and got you. It's because the Lord loved you, and he pulled you out of the miry clay, and he set your feet upon solid ground. And so you have a battle story of redemption. For some of you, you're blessed to have grown up in a Christian home. And so maybe that battle story doesn't get as dark and gruesome as others, but you've still been saved. So in verses 11 through 13, He tells them to beware of the curses of the covenant, lest they be driven from the land. I find this thought very interesting, and we've talked a lot about it as we've gone through um, you know, the, the five, first five books. That I'm gonna drive them out, but if you disobey, I'm gonna drive you out. God has certainly had favor upon the nation of Israel. <clears throat> They're the ones that were chosen. To them were given the oracles of God. Through them came the the Messiah. And so there's a favor. But it did not give them any escape from walking righteously. The same thing that happened to the Amorites, these nations, that we have read about repeatedly, is going to happen to Israel for committing the same things. So I think sometimes people look at this, and they say, well, this is favoritism, it's not fair. Well, there's a favor of God upon them, but the favor was that they might be a blessing to the nations, which they have been through the seed of Jesus. And we have the word of God. So, yes, there's a favor upon them, but there is not a, um, an excusing of them. And so they endure the same consequences that the nations endured, except for one thing is that they repented and God brought them back. And that has been their history. We'll see that as we move through um, the Old Testament, even into Judges. <coughs> Verse 11, therefore, be ta- or therefore take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. You've got to be really, really careful that you love God. That, that's the exhortation. Or else... If you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that uh, remain among you, make marriages with them and go in. and They to you know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you. They become a snare, right? This is, this is going to be a problem. You're going to perish from this good land. <clears throat> we need to be careful to love God. When we don't love God, this is where we fall into a snare. And I think the point here is you're going to love something. You're going to love someone. You're either going to love God or you're going to love that which is around you. And so we, we, can't, we can't have this idea that, well, in my mind, he's number one. But practically right now in my life, there are other things that I'm wanting to try out and experiment with and, and be involved with. Because what happens is your love for God is going to grow cold and your love for something else is going to grow hot. And the consequences of that will be painful in your life. Verse 14. He already told us that he's old, right? And so he comes back to this thought, verse 14. I'm going the way of all the earth. I think this is an obvious truth but it's a truth that we need to be reminded of. Um, Life will remind you of it. Doctor reports will remind you of it. The news will remind you that people are going the way of all the earth. But we need to remember it and, and, and therefore live in such a way that we're redeeming the time. Joshua's old. He's 110. And... This is what's gonna happen. It's good for us to remember that if the Lord does not return in our lifetime, that we're going to go to him. Now, you know, that's like, yeah, everybody goes, well, yeah, of course. But I want you to think about that. I don't want anybody to become overwhelmed with sadness here, but you're going to die. You're gonna go the way of all the earth. The righteous and the unrighteous are going to die. After the flood, God said, I'll give you 120 years. I don't think I can stand much more of you than 120. That's about all I'm going to give to you. You used used to live to be 700 years. We're not doing that anymore. You got 120, use them well. And really, I mean, we're probably a third less than that now for the average age of life. I think it's 78. So if you're 79, don't worry. But uh, just, you know... (laughs) But, well, you know, 78, okay. That's so, I mean, that's just the average age of life. So that's, in our days, when most people go that way, it's a sobering reminder to live well and to follow the Lord. I think it helps us to have this calibration in our mind that everybody's going to die. And I remember, um, name was Harold. And he was an elderly man. He went to the church. He's with the Lord now. And he was in and out of the hospital with so many things. Um, and um, then somebody young died at, at the church. And <clears throat> we were talking about it. And he said, Pastor Troy, remember this. It's not always the sickest among us that go first. And I, that was something. I never had heard that phrase before. I've heard it since. <clears throat> but I think... We all need to have that in our mind, is that we're going to go. And so why do I want us to have this in our mind? Because I think it will help us to not be overwhelmed when the news comes. Maybe it's not for you, or maybe it's for others. Uh, Here's something that happens, and I understand why. And I'm not saying I would be exempt from it on some level. But you know what can happen? You can have... You know, 10,000 people died yesterday, but you got a promotion, a new baby came into the family, you know, somebody got over a sickness, God is great. 10,000 people died yesterday, God is great, things are going well, but now one, the next day, the death happens in your family, and now we're questioning the faithfulness of God. Can you see the inconsistency with that? It's like, if everything goes the way it's supposed to go and makes me happy, then God is faithful. But if I get anybody around my life that may be dying and going the way of all the earth, then somehow God is no longer faithful. That is a very shallow faith. And I don't think we should at all put the finger in the face of God for, for that. Because the people are going to die. The people you know and love are going to die. If, the, if Jesus doesn't come back, you know, Tonight, the chances of somebody hearing this message and then having to have a bad report or somebody die, it's on the table. And if we go a year or we go five years, well, then we know that some of us are going to lose loved ones, right? So how are you going to respond when your loved one or something happens, whether it's the sickest or the unexpected? How are you going to respond? Is it going to be a, a... I don't know, a, a wrestling match to, in your mind and heart to determine whether God is faithful or not? I hope it won't be. I hope it won't be. So we have hope in the Lord. And I don't want hardship to come upon you, but I also don't want any of us to be overwhelmed when hardship comes. And so, you know, don't live like people aren't going to die. Redeem the time you have in your own life. Value the relationships around you. If they're not right, go make them right and celebrate them and realize that those that we love are going to pass away. And it does not change the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. We know that happens to everyone. And yet it is, it is hard when it comes. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. Jesus gives us hope over death. John chapter eleven, it's when Lazarus dies, and Mary and Mar- Martha, their uh, Lazarus sisters, calls for Jesus, and Jesus drops everything and runs immediately to their side. Right? It's not what he does. He takes his time. Waits. Eventually, ends up coming. And they're not happy. They are not happy with Messiah. We called for you and you didn't come. We asked you to step in and do something about our brother dying and you didn't. And so Jesus is going to take this opportunity to perform one of the most amazing miracles of his ministry. <clears throat> Lazarus had been dead for days, four days in the tomb, and he says, open it. And you say, yeah, that's not a good idea. Four days in the tomb, Lord. It's not going to be a pretty, pretty sight. He says, open it. And he calls Lazarus forth. <clears throat> but what he says to Mary before uh, and to Martha, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. And this is the hope, that even in physical death, there is still spiritual life. And we put so much in the physical. I understand it. It's all that we kind of have in one sense is this physical life. We've not experienced the eternity side, but that is the piece that's valuable. That's the part that's going to go on forever. That's really what should be esteemed. And so Jesus says, yeah, I know that people are going to die, but, you know, in faith, you're never going to die. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe that? Is this, does this truth, does it make an impact upon your heart, Martha? Well, I know in the last. And so she, she's not really buying it. And then, of course, Jesus calls Lazarus forth. So Jesus gives us hope over death. So <clears throat> this is why we want to do everything we can to call our friends and our loved ones and our countrymen to faith in the Lord. Because knowing that somebody is not going to be held by the power of death, it is it's how we make it um, through these difficulties. And we make it even if somebody hasn't, but it is much easier when we know that they are a follower. <clears> 1 <throat> Corinthians 15, 20-22. But now Christ has risen from the dead. And it's become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Falling asleep is a a way of describing Christians who have died. It's almost like the hope of resurrected life is so real, we're not going to even refer to ourselves as dying as dying anymore. We need to come up with some other way to describe what we do because the hope we have of the next life is so real, so inspired by the Holy Spirit, the New Testament writers often, not exclusively, but often will use that idea of falling asleep. I mean, you know, it's a nice thing when you fall asleep, isn't it? And, um, you know, if you struggle with sleep, you know how wonderful it is to be able to just fall asleep. Ah, I fell asleep, you know. So th- this is ways way it's described. Verse 21, for since by man came death by man... Also came the resurrection of the dead. So in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. So Jesus is our hope. And you can have the hope of heaven if you put your faith and trust in him. There's a church in Thessalonica who had loved ones um, and friends and brothers who had died. And they expected that Jesus was going to come back so soon that they had not even calculated what would it mean if people died before Jesus came back? They believed in the imminent return of Christ. He's coming back so soon, they they didn't know how to theologically work through the process of what happens to those who died before Jesus came back. And so Paul writes, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So we sorrow, but we don't sorrow as those who have what? No hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we do, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Christians who have died, right? For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and the, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, raptured, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We'll always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another at these words. You know what the Bible does to comfort believers who have lost loved ones. Jesus said, "I am the resurrection and the life." Do you believe that? To grieving sisters, he says, let's talk about resurrection, because that's how you're going to make it. Now, they had a very short window of grieving, right? Um, but to the church in Thessalonica, um, and maybe you wonder, what do I say to somebody who's lost a loved one? Well, I mean, sometimes you just, you're pre- just being there present is all that's needed, and then there'll be time to speak, but I think this is a great passage to share is to say, hey, you're going to be reunited with them. And they are with the Lord now. They're, they're just asleep, all right? But they're in the presence of the Lord. So at the rapture, we're going to be reunited with those who have died. Um, and so when is that going to happen? When is that rapture going to take place? Uh, nobody knows when that's going to happen. And anybody who says that they know does not know. And um, it's amazing how many want to try and, you know, give a, a, a time. <clears throat> do I think it's happening soon? Yeah, I do. Because the Bible says so. Read your Bible. It says, you know, soon. That's the word that's used. Um, but I also, I looked in the mirror, that, like, on the, on the way here, I'm like, wow, dude, you are getting old. I think I actually said that to myself. Like, wow, you look old. Um, and um, so, it's, get, it's soon, you know what I'm saying? It's soon, one way or the other. Um, and I've known some of you a long time, and as I look out there, I'm like, yeah, it's getting real soon for you too. So, one way or the other, it's like, you know, the, you know meeting with the Lord, and we have a fuse that's burning on both ends, right? It's, it's life, and it's the timing of the Lord. And none of us know which is going to reach us first. But we need to live with this hope. Um, but what about those that have gone? They had so much left to live for. They had so many hopes. They had so many dreams. They didn't get to fulfill so many things. Well, we say that, and I understand that when a young person passes, or somebody who isn't, you know, very old. But the Lord knows their days, right? The Lord's not surprised by their days being shortened. He knew. And Second Corinthians 5, 6 through 9 says that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. So I think at every memorial service I've ever done, I've always, that's a believer. Um, I love to be able to say this. Um, you know, This brother or this sister has never been better. They've never been better. And you know, we're the ones that have to deal with them being asleep and not being able to interact, they're not struggling with that with you. Um, so don't, um, don't put grief and sorrow on them if they're in the presence of the Lord, there's no grief and sorrow for them. Um, if you could say to them, hey, you had so much to do, would you like to come back? They would say, no way. No, thank you. You know, I, I, Pastor Chuck, he says, if I die at church and somebody comes and lays hands on me and raises me from the dead, you better run because I'm going to punch whoever did it. He says, if I get into heaven, don't bring me back. So, you know, th- I think there's, a, there's some humor in this, Right. But it does express how wonderful it is to be in the presence of the Lord. Yeah, you're going to grieve. You're going to have sorrow, but not as those who have no hope. So Joshua said, I'm going the way of all of the earth. <clears throat> I want us to consider one more passage, and then we'll, we'll move on. And it's Philippians 1, 22 through 24. It's an interesting passage because Paul's in prison, and he doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know if he's going to be killed or he's going to be set free. So we get to hear somebody pondering their death and wondering what's the best. He says, if I live on the flesh, this will... But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So um, my ministry is going to be beneficial to you, but I personally would like to go on. He says, I think I'm going to stay behind. That's what I think is going to happen. So we're not looking forward to death, right? We're not hoping for death, but we have a clear understanding that it is the better part. And so... um, What's going to happen? Well, it's out of our, our hands, really. At the end of the day, I mean, it's God that's in control. He will make that decision. And none of us should ever seek to manipulate that situation. But uh, I think this is the attitude we should have as we think about our own mortality. Is well, if I, if I stay... I'm going to do a lot of good for the Lord. I'm going, to, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. And I'm going to redeem every minute I can. And if I go, well, I get to go. And I get to be in the presence of the Lord. I think we can have that. I think we can have that thought and mindset, especially as younger believers. <clears throat> and then as we grow and we face death, I think you'll find that thought having to be refined through the pressure. And you may have moments where you're like, I don't know if I can just say it like he can so easily. And and the Lord will work this out in your life. But this is the attitude we should have. It's just trusting the Lord. So he's going the way of all the earth. One day we will go again. Here's our our meeting with the Lord. The fuse of life is being burned on both ends. The the timing of the Lord for the rapture and my life. And none of us knows which is going to come first. But we need to redeem the time. Look at verses 15 and 16. He tells them, that everything, again, rehearses. Every good thing has happened. Uh, no harmful thing has happened to you. Um, but then he warns them. You know, if you bow down, if you serve these other gods, then you're going to perish quickly from the good land which he has given to you. Their end would, if it ended in idolatry, would, their result would be the same as those who were in the land before them. Chapter 24. And <clears throat> Joshua renews the covenant at Shechem and dies at the age of 110. So in verses 1 through 13 he rehearses God's work in among among them. And so he calls them together, and then in verse 2 he says, "Thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers including Terah, The father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times. They served other gods. So they were idolaters, right? He says, then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river and led him throughout all the land of Canaan, multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. I also sent Moses and Aaron, and they plagued Egypt. According to what I did among them afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt and came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with the chariots and the horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord. And he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them and covered them. <clears throat> your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. So he's just rehearsing. Right? Going through everything that they've gone through and how God's been faithful. I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwell on the other side of the Jordan. <clears throat> they fought, again, fought with you, but I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war <clears throat> against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor. To curse you. He's the guy that had the talking donkey. Right? But I would not listen to Balaam. Before he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. and The men of Jericho fought against you. And then he lists all the nations. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you. Which drove them out from before you. I mean, this is a great. You can have a great army. But if you have angry, you know, hornets on mission from God against an army. <laughs> it's going to affect them. I mean, some of the ways in which the Lord gave victory was hornets. You know, another way in which he did it, um, Deborah and Barak, you know, all these iron chariots gathering to fight. And we'll read about this in Judges. You know, it's like, what are we going to do? they got iron chariots. Well, then let's make mud. Because iron chariots aren't going to do very well in really thick mud. And they all get stuck. So, I mean, the Lord uses all these different ways to to deliver them. And he's just reminding them. And he says, you know, the two kings um, of the Amorites, you know, but not with your sword or with your bow. It wasn't because you're so great. I've given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build. And you dwell in them and you eat the vineyard and olive groves which you did not plant. And and we are the recipients in the same way. We have a peace that we did not labor for. Jesus labored for that peace. We have a joy that we have not had to go and and figure out on our own. The Lord gives us that joy, that rejoicing. The Lord gives us salvation, the hope of eternal life. The Lord has given us those things that we have not labored for. You know, there are people who spend their whole life trying to find peace, spend every penny, lock themselves up in, you know, Uh, caves and all the rest trying to find peace working their entire life to find some joy and meaning and purpose and yet here you are you just came into Jesus and he says here you go it's my peace and my joy and my rest that I give to you so the Lord was faithful to them and he's reminding them of this so here comes the therefore verse 14 the Lord's done all this for you. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods, right, which your father served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. Worship the Lord. <clears throat> and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served, that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I hope that's what you're saying tonight, is that I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to put him first, and I'm not going to allow anything else to have another place. I will fear the Lord. I will serve the Lord in sincerity, and I will serve him in truth. I'm not going to allow anything to pull me away. And um, he says, you know, if you think it's evil to serve the Lord, and we're going to see the response, and they're going to say, far be it from us. But you know that it's it is sad that some people think it's an evil thing to follow Jesus. Especially those who once walked with the Lord. And I know some of you as parents and grandparents and you know, children, parents, you know, aunts, uncles, you know those who once were in the house of the Lord, experiencing the goodness of the Lord and the joy of the Lord and the peace of the Lord, and now. They think it's an evil thing to follow the Lord the way they were raised or the way they used to. It's a painful thing to to see. And I just, I think we should all take that as a warning that we don't allow the enemy to have even an inch in our life. Don't give them even an inch in your life. It's like, well, I never would do that. Well, that's a great resolve to have, but if you're setting yourself up for failure, then it's called deception. So he says, hey, who are you going to serve? And I, and I ask you, who are you going to serve? Well, one day, one day, maybe I'll get around to the Lord. Well, what about today? What about deciding that you're going to put God first in your life and nothing else and no other passion, no other desire is going to be before the Lord? You will serve him. You will bow to him in his ways. And then you can enter into the blessings that he has planned for you. You're like, well, I'm just afraid I'm going to miss out. Well, that's you're not going to miss out, and and you 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 have that fear on the wrong on, on the side of not having experienced the Lord, and um, the Lord will be so good to you. And you, I, I just encourage you to come to the Lord, receive Him, and find out how good He is. It is not an evil thing to serve the Lord. What's evil is to serve your own passions because they will own you and they will ruin you. And if you wonder if that's the case, just take a look around. Verses 16 and 18, the people answer. They said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. Good answer. That's what we all should be saying. You know, The Lord, Yahweh is God. He brought us and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did great signs in our sight and preserved us and all the way that we went and all the people through whom we passed. Now, the Lord drove out. So they're just saying, "Yeah, everything you said, we agree with. We will serve the Lord for he is our God. And if you serve the Lord God, then serve him. Serve him. Worship him. Put him first in your life. Fear him. Revere him. Walk courageously in the commandments of the Lord. Give yourself Tireless, tirelessly to the work of the kingdom of God. Don't indulge your own desires and flesh, even where it may not necessarily be sinful, but all of our lives should come to this place to say, Lord, what do you require of me? How should I serve you? How should I live for you? It's not just full-time ministry people that should give their entire life to the, for the, the things of the kingdom. Um, So, you know, in all that you do, be hearing from the Lord that you are living it out the way he's guiding and directing your life. (laughs) Well, he says, if you think it's an evil thing, there's a far be it from us that we would ever do that. And, you know, so Joshua comes back, he says, you cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. So verse 19. Oh, that's encouraging. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. He's trying to make the point. He's fearful for the book of Judges, okay? He's fearful for what's about to come, and he's trying to bring them to this place of great resolve. So I think don't read this so much in a technical sense of God can't forgive you as much as it is a leader trying to really pull people to full commitment. It's more of a, an emotional tactic, if you will, to draw them to complete commitment than it is some great um, theological statement that he's making because obviously God forgives sins, right? But he said, you, you know, you're saying this, you're going to enter the covenant. In a covenant, there are promises of blessings and there's promises of curses, you want to go into this covenant? Oh, we want that covenant. We want the covenant. He's a holy God. He's a holy God. And you're going to deal with your disobedience. And we'll see that. He says, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do harm and consume you after he has done you good. So <laughs> he's trying to bring them to that place of complete commitment. So they respond to him. Verse 21. No, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves, that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made... Uh, for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. So this is headquarters now for Israel. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all these words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall be a witness to you, Lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, <clears throat> each to his own inheritance. So the covenant is renewed um, uh, at the end of Joshua's life. At the end of the uh, the battles for the land, they're still they got to drive out more of them. He's warning them, telling them not to you know allow them to deceive you or pull you away. And so he says, "All right, the covenant's renewed, and um, you are all in, and you can go." So. Uh, verses 29 through 31, we we find out here that Joshua and Eleazar, the the priest, um, that both of them die. Came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being one hundred and ten years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath sirah which is in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gesh. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days. Of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Um, but the sad thing is, it's only in the, that generation of leaders. And after that generation of leaders passes away, um, the next generation of Israel is not going to follow. And this will be the cycle that we'll read about over and over again in the book of Judges. <clears throat> Uh, verse thirty two, the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem, and the plot of ground which Jacob had bought for him, the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, for one hundred pieces of silver, which he had which had become an inheritance to the children of Israel. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, was so the high priest. They buried buried him in the hills belonging to Phinehas, his son, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. So God is faithful to his promises. He said he was going to bring you into the land. He's brought you into the land. He's given it to you. Now follow him. Obey him completely. Um, You have been given this allotment. Walk in the allotment. Walk in your inheritance. Walk in the blessing that God has given to you. One day, all of us are going to pass or the Lord's going to return. And none of us know which is going to be first. I'm hoping for the rapture, personally. The rapture... That would be a fun way to go. Wouldn't it be an honor to be the generation that's alive of the, you know, at the time in which Jesus comes back? And, um, you know, I believe it's imminent, meaning there's nothing that has to happen. Nothing that has to happen in order for the Lord to return. So that's what I'm praying for. But we may, I may go the way of all the earth. And you might go the way of all the earth and we need to be those that clearly understand the hope that we have in Christ. Yes, it's going to be, it's going to be scary for all of us on one level to think about passing from this life. So why we need to make the hope of our salvation so real, and allow those scriptures to be so alive in our heart. May we heed a similar exhortation um, that Joshua gave to that nation that the Lord gave to the churches in the book of Revelation, and that is... I've shared with you what to do. Now do it, lest I come and remove your lampstand. You see, the point I want to make here is it's not simply and only in the Old Testament that God's people could have a, uh, a chastening judgment come upon us. Not for the soul, okay? that Christ did that on the cross. But read through the seven letters to the seven churches and how the Lord calls them to repentance and warns, and if you don't do this, I will remove your lampstand. I'll remove your light, your witness. And so we should hear that and heed the word of the Lord and not delude ourselves into thinking that somehow now today, under grace, it does not matter how we live. It does matter how we live. And anybody who would think it does not matter, go read Revelation 2 and 3. And you'll find out that Jesus seems to care a whole lot about how his church behaves herself. So let's choose whom we're going to serve. Father, thank you for your kindness and your love. Lord, thank you that you have sent your son to work and to battle for us. And truly, Lord, in so many ways, greater than even Israel, we have an inheritance for which we did not labor. The forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> the hope. The joy. The peace. The rest. The fullness. The purpose. Lord, these things that the world seeks after. It never finds. They're ours. You've given them to us. And so I pray we would learn to walk in them. We would learn to walk the the edges of our inheritance and enjoy, Lord, this life you've given. May we have that same resolve as this generation did and that far be it from us that we would not serve you. Far be it from us that we would think it an evil thing to follow after you. Lord, it is a glorious thing to follow after you. It is grace upon grace that we get to know you and follow you and serve you. Lord, help us as individuals, as married couples, (laughs) as a church, Lord, to do those things that you've put in front of us. Lord, those ministry works that you have planned for us to do, help us to walk them out, Lord. Help us to fulfill all that you've intended. We want to serve you. Lord, we, we say that we in our houses, we are going to serve you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.